Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Hey, magical humans, I've got a great episode for you today. But first, I wanted to tell you about something I've been working on in the background. It's called the Up Level with Ease Sisterhood, and it's a group coaching experience that I'm going to do with an intimate group of women. That means I'm limiting the number of people that are going to be in the group because I want to foster a real sense of sisterhood where we will support each other to help each other grow and sparkle. We'll dive into feminine energy of ease and flow, and we will up-level our lives in every way, personally, in relationships, in our businesses, in our sport, wherever you want it. If you feel called to join this experience or are curious and want to learn more, message me ASAP. I'll tell you all the details and reserve your spot. Now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Kimberly Borges. She's a transformational brand coach with a mission to empower women to tell their stories and to stand in their truth and to launch a business on the way. This woman is, (laughs) well, she's awesome. Let's just leave it at awesome and then just listen to her story. She's epic. She is brave. She is heart-centered. She's funny. And it's her birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday and welcome, Kimberly. This is like the best way to start any birthday. Like I should plan this on every single birthday (laughs) that I have. That would be really cool to have like a record of this is what I did on this birthday. And then this is what I did on this birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I should totally do that. Also, I was like, when you were like, she is, I was like, oh my God, what is she going to (laughs) say? Uh, like this could go a lot of different ways. <laughs> You're good. You're a powerhouse. You're a goddess. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm so excited you're here. We have so many different places to go today. Yeah. Where should we begin? Let's just start with your story. Cause that it's in itself is encompasses a lot. Yeah. How far back do you want me to go? Because we can that's that's a a lot. Let's, <laughs> we'll start in the beginning. I mean, you were born in Hawaii, right? I was born in Hawaii. Yes. Um, on uh, this exact day, I was mm-hmm. born 34 years ago. I was about two. Uh, no, maybe. Oh, maybe I wasn't. I wasn't even born yet because it's not 7 a.m. yet in Hawaii. So technically, sure. I didn't. It didn't exist in this human world. Um, yeah, so I'm from Hawaii. Uh, grew up, you know, beaches and waterfalls and all of that great stuff. Um, super, I think, fortunate to, to have grown up in such a beautiful place. Uh, but I grew up in a kind of suburb area with kind of a normal middle-class family, only not so normal. 
my mom and my dad were divorced when I was pretty young. Maybe I was about three. And then my mom, I have an older half sister. My mom remarried my stepdad when I was about five. And, you know, then we formed our little family, moved to the suburbs and had our own, uh, I don't know, just, you know, our, our lives. But my dad was an interesting human being and had a lot of different uh, limiting beliefs about who he was and, and uh, had a, some mental health issues as well. But we didn't know that growing up. He was just a very, very strict authoritarian parent, uh, really controlling and very weird. And I knew he was weird. And you know, even as like a eight or nine or 10 year old, I knew that there was something off about him. But whenever I tried to speak up and tell, you know, other adults in my life, nobody believed me. And I was just kind of hushed or told, you know, I just need to be more obedient or maybe I was acting out. And it was like weird stuff. Like eventually I, I think when it, you know, kind of hit its peak of control was when I was a teenager and I had wiretaps on the phone, our home phone, so that my sister and I wouldn't talk on the phone when he wasn't there, you know, tape recorders in our closet. I had to wear a private school uniform to school, even though I went to a public school, like just incredibly controlling. And so that was my life growing up. Uh, you know, everything I did was controlled, everything. I, I didn't have any kind of autonomy to decide how long I wanted my hair, the length of my nails, what I wore, just what radio stations I listened to, what books I read, just everything was decided by him. So I started to act out in my teenage years. I started running away from home. First, I started just kind of like, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of rebellious kid and sneaking out of the house and going to a party and that rebellion was met with, you know, the hammer and so, they, he upped his control over my life. So I upped to the rebellion and he upped the control. So I upped the rebellion and it's just kind of this uh, snowball effect. And so I started running away from home. The longest I was out of the house, I was gone over a summer between my junior and senior year. So three months I was out of the house and I came home my senior year, didn't go to school. I was sent away. I was sent to a detention home and then sentenced until I was 18 to like a kid prison type of a juvenile facility. So is this just because you had run away? Just because I had run away. And that's an interesting story too. So I didn't have anything on my record that, you know, I wasn't, I didn't steal cars. I wasn't in a gang. I didn't, I didn't have anything on my record besides running away from home. Uh, but when I came home that last time that I had run, ran away for three months, my dad was just on a mission to, I think, just punish me. And so he asked the courts for the, the most, the, uh, you know, the, the strictest punishment possible and to, uh, you know, keep me locked up. So, yeah, I, I was in, I wasn't, it wasn't normal for somebody 
with my record to be in that facility, which was obvious to everyone there. So I luckily was picked for a behavioral kind of therapy program that was a live-in type of program for youth. So I spent three months in the facility and then was selected to go to this program. I went to another island and I lived on Maui, uh, lived in a group home with like a foster parents and went to school there, went through the therapy program at the same time and was able to graduate from, from a regular, you know, public high school. So, and during that senior year, sorry. Wait, so what was it like living in this <laughs> detention center? Um, to be honest, so I, I, I spent time in two separate types of facilities. One was a short term and then there was like the long term one that was, you know, the, when I was sentenced until I was 18. So the, the short term one, when I first went there, it was actually kind of fun. Like I enjoyed it. (laughs) It's a weird thing to say, even though you're strip searched and there's, you know, rules and it was like I got to interact with other kids my age because my dad didn't let me. And so it was like going to camp kind of, and I wasn't, (laughs) it was a weird thing to say, but I actually wasn't even allowed to go to camp. Like, you know, in elementary school, they'd have field trips and things like that and, you know, go camping. And I wasn't allowed to do any of those things because my dad would say stuff like, you know, I might be, I don't know. Can I, I can swear on this, but like, I might be like raped and murdered and molested. Like he was, you know, he was a police officer and then an investigator for the prosecutor's office. So he had these like weird paranoid things, but I think he also used that as like an excuse to just control and and, like tell us what to do. Um, So yeah, it was like the first time I got to have sleepovers and like hang out with other girls my age uh, and, you know, play games and, and just talk. I I didn't have that experience anywhere else. So that was actually, I know it's weird, but fun. Um, uh, It would have been more fun if if I weren't behind a barbed wire fence, but you know, it was the experience that I had. And then the other place, the much more secure place was a lot scarier to go into because you just hear stories and you have that fear of, I'm going to get beat up. Um, I might get raped by the other girls in there. And those things I'm sure at certain points did and have happened. Uh, I didn't see that while I was in there between the girls themselves. I saw a lot of violence happen between the girls and the guards because there were a few riots. Uh, and those, those, those memories are a little bit traumatic just seeing, you know, teenage girls just getting beat up by big Samoan guys. But uh, yeah, so that one was a little bit more hard to process and hard to be there, but it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. And really all of those girls, as scary as they might be, (laughs) um, we're just kids yeah, and and, uh, we're just suffering and a lot of pain. And I deeply, deeply feel that locking up children is absolutely not the answer. (laughs) So uh, that's something that 
in Seattle, there's, there's been a lot of, which is where I live now. Uh, there, there was a lot of talk of they're building like a new youth jail and, and there was a lot of backlash against that. A lot of people didn't want that. And I was definitely one of those people. I just don't see, there's so many other ways to, to rehabilitate and to realign youth and kids and girls and, and boys as well. Uh, that I, I didn't really see a whole lot of good coming out of coming out of a place like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be great if people listened to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, a whole, a whole other conversation we could have about that. <laughs> what, what, tell us, give us a little snippet. Oh, just, I mean, you know, just the, the, our society and politics and, and the way that we view human beings. Um, you know, I, I won't get into like adults cause I, I don't have a, a whole lot of information on prisons for adults, but you know, personal experience with teenagers and, and young girls that just telling them that the, like we broke the, the structure in which kids are growing up in lower income, especially uh, communities and society. We set them up for failure and then we say well you failed so now there's your pun this is now your punishment like you're we don't have a lot of opportunity and hope built into the structure and the system so it's just kind of like a lose-lose situation if you are born into uh, a lower lower income uh community yeah 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 absolutely i think that was really well said thank you yeah um where was I? What was I talking right, so you, about? you were able to graduate from high school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my senior year of high school, my dad, you know, broke mentally, emotionally, um, tried to uh, commit suicide, then threatened to kill people in his office. So he went to a uh, federal prison and then went to a mental health institution at that point, my parents were already getting divorced. Uh, we had a restraining order against him because we weren't sure where his mental state was. And I have not talked to him since. So that's is he still, the... Is he still institutionalized? No, he is... Uh, I think maybe, thinking back to that time, maybe about a year he was like in some type of like facility. It could have been a little bit longer than that but he got out and uh I'm not really sure what he did after I do know that he uh joined a church I do know that so hopefully if that was his path to clarity and to alignment and to love and compassion I I hope that that served him well on his way but um that's about as much information that I have about him I think he got remarried as well yeah I hope he's happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to you. Um, all right, then what happened? It, you know, restraining order against your dad. Your parents are divorced. Mm -hmm. Somehow you get to Seattle. Yes, after many years. I think my 20s, uh, what happened in my 20s was a lot of growth coupled with self-sabotage. So 
I always had really big dreams. I, you know, always had this desire to see the world, to branch out to, to, you know, Hawaii is a very small community. Um, a lot of people on a tiny island, but just still very small, uh, not a whole lot of outside perspective when I was growing up. I think now with, you know, social media, it's a lot, there's a lot more opportunity to have outside perspectives and to learn about different cultures. But when I was growing up, there was, that wasn't so big. So I wanted to go to college. So I went to college. I couldn't quite figure out how to do college. <laughs> like I just couldn't, just wasn't there. I was paying for college myself. I was working, uh, trying to study. I, you know, in high school, I wasn't really, I didn't really study because I was busy running away and being a rebellious kid. So I didn't have the skills to know how to just straight out study for a test. Uh, I didn't have that kind of discipline yet. So I, there was a lot of self-sabotage because I felt like a failure. So then I wouldn't study and then I dropped out and then I would go back and then I would drop out. Uh, traveled the world. I went backpacking Europe by myself when I was about 23. Amazing, amazing. I, you know, that taught me more than, you know, going to college at least at that point in my life, knew that that taught me that I could depend on myself and I could figure things out. And that, I mean, really, it also taught me that I just didn't really need that much. Like if I can travel around the world with one bag, like I just didn't need all of the things that, you know, society tells us that we, we need to acquire and collect like the material things. So that was really expansive, a really big growing uh, experience for me. I got back from traveling still, you know, trying to figure out who I was and trying to ultimately learn how to love myself. I was in a, that cycle of self-sabotage. I wanted really big things, but I just didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the self-love. I didn't have the self-awareness. I remember being really into the, the Dalai Lama and reading a bunch of books by the Dalai Lama in my like mid-20s. So I was reaching for things then, you know, I just, I just hadn't quite figured it out. And then my late twenties, um, I, I moved here to Seattle, I think when I was 26, I think I was 26. So I've been here for about eight years now. Uh, I had gone back to Europe. I lived in, in Greece for a summer in Santorini and that's where I found my dog, Olive, <laughs> the love of my life. She was a little street puppy that some friends of mine had found. I took her in and had plans and intentions of going back to Hawaii. I was signed up again for you know, the University of Hawaii, you know, had my classes and everything picked out, had my scholarship, uh, was like, I'm going to spend the summer in, in Greece before I, you know, go back to school full time and then found a dog and was like, couldn't take her. I couldn't take her back to Hawaii because of the quarantine laws. So I moved to Seattle and, uh, which is like the opposite <laughs> climatologically of all things. Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that just kind of happened. There were a bunch of other Americans that lit were, you know, living on Santorini that summer. 
and they were from Seattle and I had never been to Seattle. Like I moved to a city I'd never been to. Just that kind of rebellious nature, but also like I just wanted adventure. So I knew I wanted a city with arts and culture and um, seasons, although there's not not the (laughs) still kind of just like rainy all the time but more seasons than Hawaii had and that yeah they kind of sold me on the idea so I moved here with Olive and got my life set up uh I love it I love Seattle I don't want to be here forever but it's definitely served a a big a big it's been a big part of my life uh especially living in such a liberal city um, and, and being exposed to slightly different Hawaii is pretty liberal, but uh, Seattle's like liberal, liberal, um, you know, and a lot of um, thinking about how we can be better as a society. So Seattle has served that purpose for me. Went back to college after a few years of living here, decided I needed to be, I needed to be professional and I needed to be an adult (laughs) is what I was telling myself. So when I went back to college, I decided I was going to do business because that was the adult thing to do. Got into a super competitive program, decided to do accounting. I don't know why. I mean, I know why I know what was going through my head was, and you know, the thought was I'm getting older. I really want to have a steady, stable job. I want comfort. I want a steady paycheck. I want a big paycheck. So I decided to do accounting and business. And I was miserable the entire time that I was in my program. But I had said to myself, this is a goal that you are going to accomplish. So this for me, when I look back and this, you know, I just graduated actually last June. So 2017, when, uh, when I look back at at, you know, accomplishing this goal, it's both good and bad because I wasn't happy and it wasn't the right thing for me, but it was the very first time that I set a really, really high goal that seemed like something that I wouldn't be able to accomplish coming from where I came from. Uh, and I did it and I stuck to it. And so I can't really say that it was like, you know, you know, who's to say that any of our decisions are, are the wrong decisions, even if they're the wrong decisions in air quotes, mm-hmm. uh, they all teach us something. So yeah, I, I did business accounting, got the job at the CPA firm, wore the fancy clothes, worked there for about six months. And then I was like, what the heck am I doing? This is not what I want to do at all. Uh, had this idea for a business to make statement t-shirts hired a brand coach, thought I would just do it as like a side hustle to, uh, you know, just be my passion thing on the side to satiate my creative needs while I went to and worked in an office every day. Uh, spent a month in Bali in, in um, September of 2017, so a little over a year ago, and left Bali saying, I've got to quit. I've got to quit my job and I'm going to be an entrepreneur and start my own business. So yeah, that kind of brings us to today. (laughs) Uh, Such a good story. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yeah. What was the, 
accountant route? Like, where did that really come from? Like, what? I guess my first question is, what is being or what did being an adult mean to you? You're saying that was the adult thing to do. Yeah, uh, I wasn't happy. I was, I still felt, you know, I had done, I'd moved here to Seattle. I had done a lot of work on myself to learn how to love myself. It was still very much at the beginning phases of understanding self-love. And this was eight years ago. So self-love wasn't a hype word. It wasn't like trending. There were no hashtags, but that's essentially what I was doing was learning how to love myself because I woke up. I finally had the awareness that I was waking up every day, hating myself, but I didn't know what that actually looked like. And so I looked around at the people in my life that I knew that had some semblance of a lifestyle and a life that looked happy to me. And I really what solidified this idea of going back to school was that I started dating somebody and I looked at his family and his friends and his mom. His mom was actually a huge, played a huge role in forming this idea of what I thought it meant to find happiness and to build a happy life. Uh, and, you know, everyone in, in his life and in that world, they all had college degrees. They, you know, all had that one core friend group. You know, there was like your core 10 or whatever so people that I had only seen in movies like because (laughs) because I had just like been all over you know in life and growing up and I, I I didn't have a core group had lots of friends but none of them were connected and that always made me feel a little bit less than always made me a little bit self-conscious that I didn't have that kind of sex in the city group of girlfriends And so when I started dating him and I was introduced to this very almost like Hollywood movie type of of living where he had best friends that he had known since he was like three years old or played Little League. And um, his mom was, like I said, a, a really big part of what I pieced together as the map to happiness. And success. So she was incredibly educated, super intelligent, um, successful at her career, you know, and had actually retired and was still, she was also an entrepreneur and she is an entrepreneur, uh, you know, a loving, kind mother, had the nice things that I imagined myself, you know, in the nice, the house and the family gatherings and the Christmas celebrations. And so I looked at her and there, you know, some other people and I was like, okay, they had a college degree and they had, you know, uh, a good job, you know, you know, a career working at like in some industry for 20, 30 years or what have you. So that was the decision that I made. And I kind of made it consciously, but I kind of also made that decision subconsciously. I think I was just kind of going where I just saw other people going without actually putting words to it. I, I put words to it after the fact where I was like, why did I do that? Oh, okay. Yeah. I saw the people in my life that I 
thought, were happy, and then I just kind of mimicked their formula. Yeah, so, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that was where the the degree came from. Um, specifically accounting was because I decided on business and I had to do a bunch of prerequisites at a community college before I could get into the program that I was applying to. And I thought I would go into marketing because that still seemed like kind of creative uh, and I'm a very creative person, but none of my prereqs required marketing. It, they required some accounting classes and I did actually like it. There was something soothing about fitting all of these pieces together uh, in your, you know, books or whatever and finding like, it's kind of like a puzzle. Like a lot of people think that it's math, a lot of math and it is, but it's very basic math. Accounting is more about a, a puzzle and like fitting pieces and finding things and finding the trail of things. So I did kind of enjoy that. And then when I got in, I think I kept with it because even though I hated the competitiveness of the program, I still thought that that was the path to happiness. And I thought, well, actually, if I'm being totally honest, I think it's that people looked at me differently. When I said I went to this program and I was in this college doing this degree, people's reaction to me, because it's so well known and it's really hard to get into, they I was the exact same person that I was being a traveler and working in restaurants. But all of a sudden, because I was in this accounting and business program, people treated me differently. And I think I really liked that. And it made me feel uh, validated. So I think that's what sustained me to be actually be able to make it through and graduate, uh, even though I hated it. <laughs> that's so interesting. It's so interesting. The like other people's opinions, how far they can drive us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did that stop being enough? It stopped being enough working. I think there was a few things. I think generally just being in that life for six months and being like, this sucks. <laughs> I have to sit in traffic um, you know, an hour to two hours each way. Uh, then I have to sit in an office. Then I'm also surrounded by people that don't want to talk about the same things as me. I have to kind of fit into a mold. I have to edit myself constantly to fit into this corporate professional, uh, stereotype. And I've actually viscerally living that life where when I was going to college, you know, I was still being a college kid. I was still, you know, could still be myself somewhat. Uh, my life wasn't as structured as it was while I was working there. So I think it was actually living that life. And then where it really stopped was going to Bali and healing my body physically because I was able to, I, I was doing a bunch of, of healing work. I did cranial sacral therapy. Uh, I was in a lot of physical pain before going to Bali, like just so many issues with my shoulder, with my knee, with my hip, with my sciatic nerve. And I went there and I just started to remove the masks and I started to get really real with myself and start asking myself 
the real question is like, what is it that I actually want? And I was, through that, I was actually able to heal my body. Like I had problems with my sciatic nerve for years and I did cranial sacral, one session of cranial sacral therapy. And that was in September of last year and not like not a single shooting pain since then. And so thinking about coming back to Seattle, going back to work at the office and possibly re-traumatizing my body by having to fit into a mold and put my body back into physical pain was a big motivator for me to say, I cannot do this. Like I have not felt this pain-free in years and I had no idea that this is not actually the way that wasn't actually the way your body was supposed to feel. <laughs> like, you know, like I just had no idea. I just kind of started to accept the physical pain as a norm. And, it, and then I was like, wait, 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 you mean my body's not supposed to feel awful all the time and be achy and sore and inflamed and have shooting pains or, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, I can't, like, I just, I can't go back to that. I can't put my body through that again. So what now? What do I do now? What's the next step? And I just had to figure that out. Where were you? when you first had the idea for your first entrepreneurial venture? My first entrepreneurial venture uh, is and was Moxie Label Statement T-Shirt Company. And that happened because, well, Statement T-Shirts are, you know, over the last four to five years have become more and more popular. So I would see them everywhere. And in the last political season, uh, I saw a lot of politically based ones. And I kept dreaming up and creating my own statements in my head. Like I would see one and say, oh yeah, that's, that's cool. I think I would put, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would create them in my head. And I had a friend at the time who was doing, you know, uh, printing uh, her own design on shirts and, and doing it herself. And so I had approached her about maybe starting a kind of feminist, politically based one. And then we kind of talked about it, but nothing ever happened with it. And so I decided that I was going to do it on my own. And it changed from being politically based to being female, uh, self-love, empowerment, uh, compassion and kindness based and healing from trauma. So it, it has evolved over time. And I decided that was just going to be my fun little side project. And then it turned into my full-time thing. You know, one of the things I love about your story, Kimberly, is there's such like a different, the evolution is so like, it's not, it's not at all a like straight line. Yeah. But it's like, you had this like experience as a teenager, then as a young, like then as a traveler Mm-hmm. Then, then as a college student in accounting, then as an <laughs> entrepreneur, mm-hmm. what ties all of those together? In what way? Do you mean just, yeah, in what way? Hmm, I, uh, I asked the open-ended question because I don't know in what way. <laughs> <laughs> what ties it all together, I guess, is just me. That would be the first thing that comes to mind in that I, those were all just experiences of growth and trying to figure it out and 
trying on different hats and seeing where it went. Although if I look back, I, I think a lot of those experiences at the time made me feel like I was maybe a failure or maybe I was doing something wrong. But now I can see that they were all necessary to bring me to where I am today. And now do you feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And even I think that the best thing about this whole journey and, and what I've learned is that being grateful for the shitty things, being grateful for the struggle and for anything that looks like an obstacle is key to turning that into a lesson and to enjoy the ride because those obstacles are going to happen regardless. The struggles are going to happen regardless. It's, it's how you like what me having an obstacle present itself to you. Like what about that? What, how do I say this? Like, it doesn't mean that we can't still enjoy it, right? Like just because there's an obstacle or a struggle doesn't mean we can't still have fun. So. Right, right. Oh my yeah. God, yes. <laughs> and every, every challenge is a gift. Sometimes it takes a little while to find the gift in it, mm-hmm. but there's a gift in every single one. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like too, we have to, we have to get to this stage. We have to accept it which can be a really challenging piece, like mm-hmm. accept the challenge, then accept it with gratitude and like full body, extreme gratitude. And then we can move through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's part of the movement. Yeah. And sometimes I, it's almost like I take it a little bit too far. Like I'm like, where's the gift? Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like searching so hard. Where's the lesson? I just want to bring this lesson so I can move through this. Mm-hmm. And you, can't, you just kind of have to like let go and just flow with it. But yeah, I'm like, where's this damn gift? <laughs> I, do it. I do it too. Cause I'm really excited. I'm kind of like, I'll be like, Oh, okay. Challenge. Sweet. Scavenger hunt. Where can I find a gift? Oh, I, I can't find it. It has to come to me. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I will surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I know is the lesson. I know that surrender is always the big lesson. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't mean I do it right away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My word of 2018 is trust trust, which is very similar, I think, to surrender. It's, you know, you have to, to be able to trust, you have to surrender, you have to let go of control and say, okay, I, this is all I know to do right now. So this is all I can do. I don't have to have it figured out 15 steps ahead, which is, I think, you know, my natural tendency or just my tendency in general. I don't know if it's natural or, or not, but letting go of, of having to have the answers down the road, which comes from my need for safety, uh, you know, which I know now comes from my tumultuous and, and unstable childhood of, of not knowing, not having control in my childhood makes me, has made me in my adult life really want control and really need to know everything that's going to happen and control every single outcome. And 2018 has been about letting go, letting go of that, just trusting. Well, and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurship is, it's a lesson in trust. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. 
There's very little, uh, well, no, I was going to say there's very little control, but no, there's actually so much you can control, but so little you can control at the same time. There's like so much you can trick yourself into thinking you, you can control, but whether that is actually serving you or not, I think is up for debate. You know, the only thing we can really control it is how we feel in this moment, mm-hmm. how we cho- choose to feel in this moment and learning how to reframe everything. It's constantly about reframing, which is annoying, but also beautiful. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty experienced with it now. Uh, I think yes and no. I think it's something that I'll have to learn over and over again for the rest of my life, which is maybe, you know, the experience of, of understanding that is the experience. Yeah. I think that, I think, I think we all have these recurring lessons. Like, yeah, we're going to learn something. Oh, it's that one again. Thanks. (laughs) I got it. Can, can we be done with this now? No. Okay. So like trust, trust and patience Mm -hmm. are some of mine recurring ones. Mm, yeah yeah trust for me obviously it's my word I felt called to it I actually wrote okay so can I tell you a little story please okay so at the beginning of the year I decided that my word was trust um I had a little stone uh that I wrote the word trust on just in pencil with a little white stone and you know the pencil markings like not even there anymore but it still represents trust to me and so the other day okay backtrack a little bit of context I worked with a wealth coach and she uses the Dave Ramsey uh zero dollar budget so every single dollar that you have has a place whether it's savings whether it's fun money what have you. So, so that's the budget, the type of budget that I use. Uh, and so I had decided one morning I was like, I really need to lean on my word trust. I put my stone in my pocket for, I was, you know, going to walk around with the stone in my pocket all day. And then I was doing my budget and I realized, Oh darn it. I didn't account for a couple of things. I was just $15 off which is not a big deal, but I was like, okay, darn it, $15 off of my budget. That's fine. Uh, and then I made a decision. I was like, I'm going to go to the bank. I needed to change over one checking, business checking, and create a new business checking. I hadn't even used the, the business checking account that I had. It was just sitting there. So anyways, went about my day. Uh, just miraculously, found or was given $15 in cash. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, perfect. I was $15 off of my budget. And I had already planned to go to the bank to change over my business checking account. Like, you know, I'll deposit the cash. This is great. I went, I deposited the cash and then I sat down to close out my old business checking account. And I was like, I've never, I've never even used it. I just, I need a, I'm, I'm condensing my businesses and I'm just putting it under this one new business checking. Uh, so I need to open that. And so I know explaining that to the guy and then he's like, well, where do you want me to transfer the money? And I was like, what money? I've never used that checking account. And he was like, actually you have about $800 in this checking account. And I was like, what? So uh, I had set some, some payment up 
to the checking account that I just hadn't realized. And so on the very day where I was like, I'm going to trust in you universe. And I'm putting this stone in my pocket to represent that. I thought, you know, just cash $15, exact amount that I was off of my budget and then found, uh, you know, $800. So yeah, trust. <laughs> It was a big lesson. I was like, oh, yes, yes, <laughs> I trusted today. <laughs> That's amazing. Have you, do you now carry that rock around after you? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's sitting on my windowsill and it was just, it, it was a beautiful moment. I was like, wow, just especially just on the day that I, I decided to pick up that stone and just going with my intuition and saying, yeah, that was, that was the day. I don't know. I'm not carrying it with me. Um, maybe on an, on another day when my gut tells me to pick it up again, I'll have another magical day like that. <laughs> and maybe you don't need it. Maybe you just needed to have it that day mm -hmm. to really like get the lesson. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious because you've had so many like distinct sections of your life on your birthday. Mm -hmm. let's look back to your birthday when you were in the detention center. <gasps> that is so funny that you say that because my very first night in the high security facility was my birthday. Oh yeah. It, I spent my 17th birthday was my very first night and I distinctly remember it. And so this is great. <laughs> I can tell you about it because I do remember it. Uh, yeah. So I had, I had come home at the beginning of the school year. So it was actually September 11th, uh, the September 11th that I went home. Wow. And I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was sent to the kind of, lesser security detention home, uh, going through the court process and all of that, and then was sentenced to the high security facility. So it took a little while. So October 19th, I was my very first night, uh, you know, wearing an orange jumpsuit, uh, shackles driven, driven to the facility was checked in. Uh, and then they, I can't remember why, um, you're not like released out with like in the group the, your very first night. So I was, uh, put into, um, to explain the way it, so there weren't like individual cells in this place. It was one room, one big room with bunk beds. So all of the girls were together. Uh, and so I was, you know, sent to the dorm room and when I say like bunk beds, they're like, pr they're like prison bunk beds. So there's, there's no like spring mattress or anything. There's like mm -hmm. a, a padded, uh, material mattress and then like a weird wonky wire, uh, bunk bed under like a, I don't know how to explain it, but just something that the, the mattress pad sits on top of. Uh, and so just kind of getting my bearings and, and getting used to everything around me, still incredibly scared. And uh, just, am I going to get beat up? Am I going to have to fight somebody? Am I going to be raped? Um, 
there was another girl that was also for some reason in the the dorm area and I was scared of her obviously I wasn't sure what was gonna happen and I can't remember why but I needed like a rubber band for my hair and she started she was like chatting to me and this was I remember this being such a pivotal moment and experience that she showed immense kindness she gave me one of her hair bands and that type of kindness isn't something that you see a lot of in these places like it's a it's very scarcity and lack based mindset and culture in there and she gave me a hairband and i just knew like everything was going to be okay and she was one of the main leader type of personalities in there uh and so i think having her blessing like her giving me her hairband was uh a, a kind of like a level of like safety and security that i had um and it wasn't as depressed it wasn't as scary as i thought it was going to be i still cried my eyes out that night just um it was my birthday my 17th birthday and i was supposed to be in my senior year of high school uh but i wasn't there so that was my my birthday and lockup. Oh my goodness! What would you say to that girl right now? Oh, oh man! Uh, you know, she there's a really really good chance that she's not alive. She was in a gang. She didn't have a good home life. She didn't have the opportunities that I had. You know, uh, I, you know, my dad was crazy, but like, I was so fortunate that I grew up middle class and mm -hmm. I look a certain way and I speak a certain way and people don't necessarily discriminate against me, uh, the way that people would have discriminated against her because she looked a certain way and she spoke a certain way, uh, I think I would if I could go back to her as the kid that she was then, I don't know if she's alive now or if she's in jail now or if she's, you know, thriving and living an amazing life. I don't know. Uh, but if I could go, could go back to her, she was pro probably like 16 or something. <sighs> I would tell her what I would tell myself and every other girl in there and that they're loved and it's not their fault. And the system has set them up for failure and that's not their fault, but that there's a lot, a lot that they can do to overcome that and, and use that as fuel to do better, to help other people, to be seen, to be loved, to be held. When did you figure out, when did you remember that you are loved and that it's not your fault? I think throughout my life, I had glimpses and brief moments of understanding that. And then I forgot and then I'd remember and then I forget and remember and I forget. And that was that, you know, cycle of self-sabotage of growth and self-sabotage, growth, self-sabotage. Uh, but I think that 
I started to embody it, like not just know it in my mind, but know it in my heart and in a visceral physical feeling probably within the last three years. It took me 30 somewhat years to figure it out. Which is actually pretty fast compared to a lot of people out there that don't figure it out ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is true. Let's skip ahead to present day. All right. You've got Moxie the label Mm -hmm. and what else are you doing? Yeah. So launching Moxie the label was my dream and my passion and really fun to be able to create designs. And through that, I started having a lot of people ask me about branding and how to start a business and just all of the marketing and online and social media stuff that come along with that. So I launched a brand coaching business and you were there when I made that decision. (laughs) Uh, And so now I'm a transformational brand coach. I have a brand academy. I've got private coaching uh, because when I first launched, it was really... I thought I'm going to teach people about sales and I'm going to teach them about how to, you know, show up on social media and how to create this service or product and marketing. And really what I found after working with my clients is that you can teach them all the strategy and all of the tangible pieces that it takes to build a business. But if they don't believe in themselves, if they don't have the right mindset, if they don't work through the, as you say, the inner critics, there's no way that they're going to be successful. And so the transformational part of my title, Transformational Brand Coach, is really about doing the inner work that it requires to be an entrepreneur. Because like you said, being an entrepreneur is really uh, a test and a testament to our belief in ourself and being able to trust and being able to say, I can do this and I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What lights you up about what you're doing now with the women Uh, that you're working with? Oh my God. So much that they get to literally be themselves and make money (laughs) 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 that they can create a business around their story, around these stories that, you know, myself included, used to feel that my story, I used to feel that my story made me broken or that these experiences made me less than or made me different from other people. But then realizing and discovering that these stories are what make us powerful and are the very thing that can provide the life that we want and can help other people can you know change the world like literally change the world that when we are able to turn our story into the thing that fuels us the thing that helps us the thing that helps us heal other individuals and then those people can take their story and heal themselves and then help other people heal themselves we're literally like just creating this massive ripple across this planet and and changing the way people live their lives and helping people live better you know more impactful lives 
As you're talking, I see this flame <laughs> in you. It's like it it started it's so interesting because it started with like uncertainty and it started with um rebellion in your case and and then it just like grows and grows and grows until it it kind of like emanates out of you and becomes your superpower yeah thank you (laughs) it's just you're welcome i think i think you're doing exactly what the world needs you to do right now yeah and you know i don't know if this is you know, Tori Doobie says like, this is just my flavor of love right now. And this is, this is how I know how I can love on people and how I can show up in the world and make the world a better place and help people love deeper and more openly. Uh, I don't know what the, my flavor of love will be five years from now, but I'm just going to trust that the answers will appear and do my best to, to, to follow those pings. Yeah, I think you're pretty tapped in to what what you really truly want to be doing, the direction your heart wants to go. I think you'll know exactly your flavor mm-hmm. of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of the story from my manifestation story from the other day where uh, I'm keeping it under wraps right now, but I got a very, very clear message from the universe from uh, Oh, well, I, I'll, I'll keep it quiet, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that same day there was another, a new direction that I got the, the loud and clear answer from the universe that I need to start stepping into. And so I'm excited about branching out into that, which is, it's unlike anything that I've done yet. Oh, such a tease. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, and if, if you have further information on that by the time this episode airs, we'll include that in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kimberly, how can people learn more about you? They can hang out with me on Instagram. I love the gram. So they can find me at the Kimberly Borges. Um, if you are, if they are a business builder and an entrepreneur, they can come and hang out in my business collective called So She Did. You can just find that on Facebook and the Facebook group, So She Did. Yeah. Anything else? Like a podcast? Oh, yeah. It's kind of funny because we just launched, so I forgot about it. (laughs) Um, My friend Grace Presley and I have launched our podcast, We Need to Talk. It's all about sharing stories that, you know, sharing the struggle, sharing stories that are sacred, um, like what we were talking about today, and, you know, hearing how people went from struggle and turned it into their superpower, like you said, and are living fruitful, thriving lives. Um, and really going into those places that, you know, maybe other people shy away from, but we really want to talk about those hard places to take away the stigma off of talking about pain and talking about struggle. So Hmm. yeah, we need to talk on iTunes. Yes. It's a beautiful project. And uh, shirts. How can people buy shirts? Uh, So Moxie Label is currently under rebranding. So 
they cannot buy a shirt right now, but uh, it will be, it will be launching very soon, probably in the next month. And I will be looking for brand ambassadors. I've already got a bunch of brand ambassadors uh, lined up, but yeah, if you want to represent Moxie the label, uh, so she did, it's all about women and girls raising the bar of what's possible for the next generation. And, uh, you know, if you resonate with believing you can, and so you did, so she, she, or what is it? She believed she could, so she did. Then, uh, I would love to have you as a brand ambassador. Awesome. Yeah. Is there anything we didn't cover that we should talk about? Um, no, I feel like we, we, we covered the gamut of life. <laughs> we did. It was beautiful. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing yourself with the Find Your Awesome podcast. And thank you for being in my life. You are an amazing human. I'm really glad I know you. I'm so glad I know you too. This is the best. Um, thank you for having me, especially my birthday. This is like the best way to do this. <laughs> and happy birthday. Yay! <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.